Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. The Democratic primary for Rhode Island governor is only about six months away. Between now and then, we'll be interviewing all of the major candidates here on Rhode Island Report. Today, we're talking to Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea. We'll talk about her stance on repealing Rhode Island's voter ID law, why she thinks she's more qualified than her former boss, Matt Brown, and what she thinks of Governor McKee's response to the pandemic. After this quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Nellie Gorbea, Rhode Island's Secretary of State and a Democratic candidate for governor. Thanks for joining me, Secretary Gorbea. Thank you, Ed, for having me. So to begin with, tell us why you're running for governor. You know, I'm running for governor because I know that we can have a better Rhode Island. We can have an economy that is more equitable and just. And I happen to have the experience and the leadership skills to really move Rhode Island forward. It's been a joy to be here in Rhode Island. I am someone who moved to the state 30 years ago. Uh, I was just newly married, and, and my husband got a position at the Oceanography School at URI. And when I arrived here, I didn't know a soul. And it's a testament to the wonderful place that Rhode Island is, that 30 years later, I have the honor and the privilege of being Secretary of State and now a candidate for governor. It's a wonderful community, and I look forward to making it even better. So uh, I saw in a recent forum, you said, while some in this race have been in the business of making profits for business, I've been in the business of making government work for people. Who are you talking about there? Well, I was talking about some of the other people in the race. Yeah, who specifically? (laughs) No, what I really meant by that comment is, look, there is a contrast here. All elections are about choices. And in my case, I come with 30 years of leadership experience in the nonprofit sector I have worked in the for-profit sector, and I've worked in government, and I've gotten stuff done in Rhode Island state government. One of my biggest joys is when I meet small business owners, and they'll say, I love your office, Nellie. The people there are so great. I got done what I needed to do really quickly. We've done that with 15, 20, 30-year state employees that are all members of a labor union. What's different 
is the leadership. In that forum, Helena Folks has em emphasized her experience managing billion-dollar budgets as a CVS executive. And Governor McKee's always been emphasizing his experience running a small business. So are you discounting their business experience? No, I'm just saying that I have more than just business experience. I have business uh, experience in government. <laughs> so, you know, as you probably know from all your years of uh, reporting in the state house, government runs differently. It does not run like a business, and it shouldn't run like a business. Yeah, what's it's in the, the business, difference? It's in the, the business difference? of people, hmm. of serving the public. The bottom line is not the only uh, line that you're going to be looking at. You're going to be looking at the welfare of the people that you're serving. And so that's a really key differential. In my case, I come with experience in, in all different sectors, and I think that that gives me a perspective. Helena Folks entered the race with nearly a million dollars in her campaign account right off the bat, immediately surpassing the amount you raised over a much longer period of time. Are you afraid she'll use this fundraising advantage to drown out your message? You know, I can only say that I'm going to raise what I need to get my work done. I know that I've been working for Rhode Islanders for the last seven and a half years, and I've been communicating with them. Whether you're a voter who was able to vote safely and securely in this crazy 2020 pandemic year, or you're a small business owner, or you're a teacher who I helped because we developed new materials to teach civics and Rhode Island history so that you could just adapt those into your classroom. I have been communicating with Rhode Island voters. I have been succeeding at delivering a government that works for people out of the Department of State. So now I want to go as governor and do that on a much bigger scale. Another of your opponents is Matt Brown. You were Deputy Secretary of State when he was Secretary of State. Now as your opponent, what's one reason voters should choose you over your former boss? I have a lot more experience and a lot more success uh, than he has to show in making government run for people and making sure that businesses feel heard, that citizens feel heard, and that government is accountable and more efficient. You know, government can absolutely be more efficient and more accountable, but it has to serve people. When Brown announced his run, he said he would raise taxes on the top 1%, and he said you wouldn't do that. Is he wrong? He it's made that statement, and characteristically for him, I guess, during this race, he says things that are not grounded in truth. He hasn't had a conversation with me in over three years, and I do believe that if you're better off in life, you should be paying more in taxes. And what we've seen in this country overall is that we can't continue to f have government function on the backs of working class and low-income people. So we do need to look at how we're financing government. And if you're earning more and you're doing what better in life, yeah, you should be paying more than somebody who was paying less. But just to be specific, the bill up at the state house would increase the marginal top income tax rate from 5.99% to 8.99%. Uh, if that bill comes to your desk as governor, do you sign it? You know, if it comes to my desk as the governor, I do sign it because I believe that it's gone through a whole process in the legislature of vetting it, right? There's a community give and take that has made that the bill that's going to pass. And just to be sure, you would sign that bill if it came yeah, to you today. Yeah, no, I would. As Secretary of State, you are Rhode Island's chief elections officer. So what is the most important piece of voting legislation that Rhode Island needs to pass this year? Well, absolutely. It's the Let Rhode Island Vote Act. It has many pieces that I feel are really important to codify what we already have done successfully during the pandemic. Look, 
I'm proud of my track record as Secretary of State, as Chief State Election Official. Over the last seven years, I convinced the legislature to purchase new voting machines with paper ballots. I implemented electronic poll books. I made sure that we invested in our IT infrastructure for elections. We cleaned up our voter rolls. So we did a lot of things. We even got early in-person voting finally passed during the pandemic. But there's always more to be done. Yeah, what's the most important thing that the Let Our I Vote Act would do hmm. if That's, passed? I would say that as Secretary of State, I really, really want to see the two signatures that are being required right now in the law and uh, the oath envelopes for mail ballots. Uh, the Let Rhode Island Vote Act uh, rewrites that part of the of the law so that you don't need to do that anymore. And what do you say to the Republican Party in Rhode Island and nationally said that would open the door to voter fraud? It doesn't because these people actually don't understand our elections are secure in our state. You know, in the 2020 election, we did it and there were no cases of fraud. There are checks and balances every step of the way in our election system. And those two, that those two signatures or requirement of a notary are simply a barrier for people that want to vote from home. Why should you have to open the door to people you don't know to look at you while you're signing away your ballot? That's an invasion of privacy. We have ways in which we can verify the signatures on those ballots, the information on those ballot envelopes that the Board of Elections has been increasing the security of. And so I welcome the Republicans to come in and take a look at all the ways in which we keep our elections secure. I remember interviewing you back in 2014. You had just been elected for the first time, succeeding A. A Ralph Mollis as Secretary of State. You told me then that you would support repealing the voter ID law. Mm -hmm. Do you still feel that way? Absolutely. I don't think that that is something that really secures our election. Having said that, I, I know that it is a hard concept for many people who live lives where they do have IDs. Um, but, but I happen to know that at the margins of society, people who may be homeless, people who might be, you know, 18 years of age, 19 years of age, don't have a driver's license because it's expensive actually to get a driver's license, don't have a passport, which is even more expensive to get, don't have, there's a number of reasons why this person might not have a voter ID. And now you've made it harder for them to vote. And we do have a lot of checks and balances in the system other than the photo ID to ensure that the people are who they are. So why haven't you led the charge to repeal it if you feel that way? It's just one of those things where, you know, I felt that my efforts were uh, better served over the last seven and a half years at modernizing our election system, making sure that we had, you know, safe and secure voting systems, making sure that our voter rolls were cleaned up. Last question on that. Senator Tiara Mack, who was on uh, the podcast recently, is leading the charge for repealing voter ID now. She calls it racist and restrictive. Do you agree with that? I believe that there are ways in which that law can have a racist uh, implication, and it is so in many other states in our country, and that worries me. Rhode Island's facing several crises all at the same time. Let me ask you what specific plans you have to address them if you become governor. It's not with the pandemic. When he announced his candidacy the other day, Governor McKee touted the state's tops in the nation rankings for COVID vaccinations and testing. What steps would, have you, would you have taken that differ from what he's done? Well, first and foremost, I would have really listened to my scientific experts. And then I would have come up with a clear communication and clear messaging 
so that people understood why we needed to do, why they needed to sacrifice during the time period that we were asking them to sacrifice for the good of all. That message did not come through during the McKee administration to the detriment of our society. Let's talk about climate change. A U.N. report came out this morning warning that the effects of the climate crisis are even worse than we thought. What is one concrete step you would take as governor to address that issue? Well, we've already had the hard part happen, which is to pass legislation. Uh, We have an act on climate that was passed, and this governor has done nothing to implement it. I would start by putting state employees in positions of leadership, and by that I mean hiring the personnel to lead the effort to change policies, to change actions by state government that respond to the crisis in climate change. Let's talk about housing and homelessness. In October, more than 570 Rhode Islanders were sleeping in their cars or outside. Has Governor McKee done enough to address that crisis? Uh, absolutely not. And this is a this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. As you know, I was executive director of Housing Works for six and a half years before uh, I ran for secretary of state. And while funding is definitely a key component of it, I argue, you know, I advocated for it along with a whole coalition of community folks and business folks for more f- funding for affordable housing. And now we finally, under Governor Raimondo, we're able to get it into the budget. That's a piece of it, but that's not the end all and be all. We cannot fund our way out of the affordable housing crisis. What we need to do is we need a governor who will work with the cities and towns to reduce the barriers to building. Towns already have, cities already have buildable land for safe multifamily housing. And I'm not talking just the subsidized affordable rate, which we need. We need housing that the unhoused can be placed into with supportive services. But I'm also talking about your two-income working family that can't afford a place to live in most communities in this state. And so you do that by reducing the barriers to housing and saying, well, community X, wow, you have a multifamily plot of land here. What's going on? How come it's not being built up? Oh, well, we don't have the infrastructure dollars. Well, guess what? The state just got a lot of infrastructure dollars. Can we put some infrastructure dollars in there to sweeten the pot to make sure that we make this development happen and house our good, you know, Rhode Islanders that are looking out for for homes to live in. And Governor McKee did go to Pawtucket to announce 130 new emergency shelter beds and other uh, measures to try to meet the crisis. What more would you have done or what would you call for? We need a whole of government approach here in that, for example, I will come in and I will establish a secretary of housing and community development, not over at Commerce as the law currently calls for, but rather within the governor's office, because in addition to... uh, Within the cabinet? Within the cabinet, yeah. Because what we need to do, for example, with the unhoused is to wrap around supportive services. So it's great that we're building these temporary, uh, you know, housing situations, but we need to match that up with services that are being funded out of the Department of Human Services, for example, the Department of Behavioral and Mental Health Services, all of that, Veterans Affairs, all of that needs to be put together and connected to make a successful housing option for particularly those who are unhoused. Rhode Island's also seen an opioid crisis, a record number of accidental overdose deaths last year. What concrete step would you take to address that? My first action on this is to get together with some of our amazing experts that we have in the community to figure out what's missing. We absolutely need to attack the opioid crisis, and we need to figure out 
what is that new combination of services, whether they be community-based or supported by state funding, that will really tackle this problem of addiction in our community? On the hospital merger, Attorney General Peter Narona rejected the plan for Care New England and Lifespan to merge. Did you support the merger, and what should the future of healthcare look like in Rhode Island instead? I was optimistic that the merger would work. I was more so uh, when I heard about not just Brown's investment into this new entity that was being proposed, but also that the labor unions had come to agreements to protect the workers. I trust the attorney general's judgment on this, that the application just did not pass muster. And so now we have to go back to the drawing board. And I am very concerned about the possibility of Rhode Island's hospital system being precariously sensitive to some sort of bankruptcy or having a for-profit entity, particularly one that's one of these sort of venture capital firms uh, just come in to take over one of the hospital uh, systems. We need to really rethink hospitals and, and medical care here in our state. Uh, we need to look at how do we make primary care accessible to the largest number of people? How do we increase reimbursement rates to our medical professionals? Those that right now are seeing it more profitable to go over the border. We have to bring them back. And and we can do this in Rhode Island. We're, we're, we're a small enough state that we should figure this out. We have amazing doctors, nurses, healthcare professionals. And so I'm looking forward to get, getting everybody together to figure this out in a different new way that hasn't been discussed yet. If you're elected, you would be the first Latina elected governor in New England. What would that mean to the Latino population in Rhode Island? You know, I think it's even beyond the Latino population, which now is 18% of our state. It's about the state of Rhode Island and what that really shows the rest of our country. There's only when one other Democrat Latina in the history of the country and only other three other women of color. I think it would speak volumes for the kind of wonderfully inclusive place that Rhode Island can be. Look, all places have work to be done, but I think that Rhode Island and, and my life here shows it that it is the kind of place where we can find connections because of our size and that we can find opportunities that other places can't because they, they're, they're too distant from each other to see the opportunities. I know uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda donated $1,000 to your campaign. If you get elected, do you think you could get him to offer a performance of Hamilton at your inauguration? I don't know. I am very blessed to have uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Luis Miranda, his dad, who's a Latino leader in his own right, supporting my candidacy. But more than that, you know what I look forward to is just regular Rhode Islanders seeing someone who's elected who didn't come from a, you know, storied political family or lots of money basically said, I'm going to take my candidacy to Rhode Islanders. I'm going to take the work that I've done as secretary of state and as a community leader for 30 years, and I'm going to put it to them. And they're going to say, you know what? The system works. One of us can get elected. Secretary Gobea, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. As we interview all of the candidates for governor this year, we want your questions. What would you ask them? Email your ideas to rinews at globe.com. You might hear your question on the podcast.
Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. Rhode Island General Treasurer Seth Magaziner is responding to President Putin's decision to invade Ukraine by liquidating all of the state's pension investments in Russian stocks and bonds. My colleague Brian Amaral has the details. Alexa Gigas has the latest on how Rhode Island is updating its vaccination and testing strategies with an eye towards managing COVID-19 as an endemic instead of a pandemic. Alexa also has a Q&A with Luke Fleury, co-creator of Dibs Technology, an app that helps contractors, suppliers, and homeowners find construction supplies and services. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport. Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.